Hey everybody and welcome to the fifth episode of DCI. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. Today we're talking to Alex Knight of Firebrand Studios, uh, and they are making a new game for iOS, uh, specifically iPad, called Solar Flux HD. Uh, so we talk about what that game is, um, we also talk about uh, Alex's history in video games, uh, where he got started, how he got to where he is, uh, we talk about the, the studio's past, all that kind of good stuff. So we hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to find out more about DarkStation, you can do that at darkstation.com. There you can find our news reviews features and, of course, the podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at darkstation underscore com. If you want to subscribe to us on iTunes, you can do that. We are the DarkCast. While you're there, give us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. And finally, uh, if you want to send us an email, you can do that at podcast at darkstation.com. There you can tell us what you think of the show. You can give us ideas for interviews, podcasts, or just let us know that you're listening. If you want to find out more about Firebrand Games or Solar Flux HD, you can find links to the website in the show notes below. Again, thanks for listening. On with the show. On the dark cast, thanks. Uh, well, actually, I just said thanks for being on. It's and it's already been a long day. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. It has been a long day indeed, but uh, doing good. Good deal. Good deal. Now uh, we're here to talk about Solar Flux. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, tell me a little bit about um, who you are, what you do at Firebrand Games, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Uh, so the name's Alex Knight, and I am a producer over at Firebrand Games based out in uh, Barrett Island, Florida. Okay. Uh, Firebrand Games uh, basically has two primary studios. The one uh, is in Florida. The other is in Glasgow, Scotland. Okay. Don't hear too much about video game studios in, in Scotland. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, so how long have you been in the, uh, the video game industry? You said you're a producer. Um, what, what can you kind of tell us a little bit about your history there? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've been in the industry now for a little over six years. Okay. Uh, I'm actually pretty recent to Firebrand. I just came here, uh, uh, at the start of the year. Previous to that, I had worked, uh, uh with Activision out in Minneapolis for, uh, the last, uh, roughly five years. Uh, I started off, uh, personally in, in QA, uh, multiplayer QA had a blast. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I moved over to their technical department uh, for for first party requirements about a year later, and then moved into uh, an Activision internal design position mm -hmm. for about a year, and then after that uh, jumped into the producer role, and uh, you know, I've been loving it ever since. It's a it's a great role, you know, to be the kind of the the pivot to you know helping the team and assisting the team and working with all departments is it's you know it's a it's a fantastic position to have. Uh, so producer is one of those terms that can can mean a, a ton of different things. Uh, can you give us a little bit more information, kind of what your your day to day job is, uh, working on? Um, you can talk about you know Solar Flux, which is obviously the the game of today, uh, or if you've got any examples from previous projects you've worked on. 
Yeah, no, I mean, with Solar Flux, my role really is to facilitate uh, the entirety of the development team. So uh, with this game, it is in particular developed between both of our studios, the, the Florida one and the Glasgow team. So uh, I interface with both teams on a daily basis. We coordinate uh, build schedules, um, you know, towards the end of the project where we're at right now, uh, I've been doing all the self-publishing for mm -hmm. Firebrand, okay. uh, which is coordinating with Apple, submitting to Apple, you know, working with... Uh, basically getting the build ready and prepared and ensuring, you know, all the QA has been done, checked off. I mean, it really is a, a pivotal role and kind of a central role to ensure that everybody has what they need done. And then, you know, we can move forward in a, in a timely manner and sticking to a schedule, you know, it's, it, it's a lot, to, uh, I've heard in the past, uh, producers can be whittled down to to a traffic cop now, obviously it's far more than that but uh you know if you broke it down i'm basically the one that uh manages and mitigates you know disasters on a daily basis okay good deal um now you you talked a little bit about how you got started at activision and i know there there are tons of people out there that would you know love to work on video games and when you when you hear a lot of people talk about how they got into the industry a lot of the big people of today um, you know, they got into the industry a long time ago when there weren't things like video game design degrees and, and stuff like that. Uh, but you got in, you know, fairly recently um, compared to the, the age of the industry. Um, how did you go about getting, you know, on board with Activision as a, uh, a QA tester? Well, uh, honestly, so I, w I went to college uh, down in Minneapolis for a technical career at the Art Institute. Uh, I I'd come out of there with a bachelor's degree in animation and modeling. Okay. Uh, it's a pretty standardized program for, for the Art Institute, and it was fantastic. Uh, and then after that, it was uh, honestly their, their recruiting staff, you know, were, were helping play students and whatnot. And okay. one of the things that came up uh, for me, because I had initially wanted to stay local to Minnesota, is that uh, Activision was hiring. And really kind of caught me off guard, because I had no idea Activision had a presence in Minnesota. Quite honestly, most people don't. Yeah, I I did it, not. It, so. <laughs> but it turned out to be their it had turned out to be their uh, their licensed business unit. So they're the ones ones dealing with the majority of all the licensed properties. So you know, I applied for a QA position. It wasn't exactly in my field of study, but uh, you know, why not? It was a it was an industry job right out of the gate. You know, I really wanted to move into video games anyways. So I felt like it was a kind of a great opening door to start with. So that that kind of led me there, and things really clicked. Uh, the, the studio there was actually fairly small at the time and then uh, rampantly grew uh, over the next couple of years. Okay. Good deal. Um, now, in your experience, is it, is it a common thing for somebody that comes in as a QA, QA tester um, to kind of move up the ranks? Did other people that kind of went in with you, did they do similar you know, not, things? or it's, it's not necessarily common. I mean, really it comes down to the individual and the drive and, and what your aspirations are. I mean, sure. Now, I, I know plenty of uh, people that have remained in the QA industry. They love it. I mean, it's a great spot to be in, quite honestly. You know, every game, no matter what it is, QA is the last line of defense. I mean, it mm -hmm. really is, you know, the most one of the most integral parts of a game. You know, if we didn't have QA, well, we, we've seen games that have come out without it or a lack thereof, and, you know, they're not <laughs> enjoyable to play. It kills sure. the experience, experience that designers have spent hundreds of hours, you know, and the rest of the development team working on. So... Mm -hmm. No, it isn't necessarily a, a commonplace to just use it as a, a as a, a doorstep, I guess one would say. Okay. But you know, it's something that I, I looked to you know moving in a different direction. QA really it didn't feel right for me as a long term career goal, and that's fine. You know, so 
I, I definitely know plenty of other people that have made you know amazing careers, fantastic careers out of it, and you know we'd be lost without them essentially. Cool. All right. Um, now uh, enough about Activision and getting into the industry. Uh, <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit more about Firebrand. Uh, you said that you've got two different offices. Um, how are those actually split up? Is there any sort of rhyme or reason besides where people live to which office they work at, or are certain parts of the team relegated to the different um, locations? Um, I mean, we are split pretty evenly. Uh, total right now, uh, we're roughly a little over 30 people split pretty much down the middle between those two studios. Okay. Uh, you know, Firebrand uh, for itself has been around for about six years now. Or, I'm sorry, uh, 2006. Yeah, it's about six years. Yeah. Uh, that is 2013. And, uh, yes, yes, it is. So we, we've been around for about six years. Um, and, and quite honestly, projects, you know, to, to give a, a very brief history of the company, you know, to date we've been pretty much a work-for-hire uh, studio, development studio, and we really focused on racing games. Our, our CEO has an extreme passion for racing, you know, cars and all of that great stuff. So this it really, it really made sense. We became a, a AAA developer for racing titles, uh, especially for Nintendo platforms. We've done Cars okay. 2, the Need for Speed series, and, you know, I've put out some really fantastic titles. So it, it really wasn't until recently that, you know, we took a look at it internally and said, man, you know, sometimes you just got to do your own thing. And mm -hmm. that's kind of where Solar Flux actually spawned from is we decided to do uh, almost like an internal game jam. Uh, we did a okay. sprint. We had a, a two-week prototype. You know, all of a sudden people were really digging this, you know, little space game that we made inside. And, you know, from there, it really evolved. And we, we latched onto it. We're all space geeks, and especially the, the guys out here in Florida, too. I mean, we're literally, you know, sure. the back door is Kennedy Space Center in NASA. So how do you not, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, at that point, it really evolved into, you know, let's try something of our own. And, and, and that's where, you know, we looked at uh, Apple development and iOS development. And it's a great great platform for independent developers you know you don't necessarily need to rely on publishers um you know we've seen kickstarter blow up obviously and sure. so we looked at it as let's self-fund this let's see what we can do and really see what happens and roughly about nine months later you know we are where we are today which is solar flux solar flux is is headed to the app store you know we're coming out in just a few weeks here in august and so far all the previews we've had for the game have been extraordinarily positive very cool. Um, now, besides the, the ease of getting on the, the platform, was there anything else that particularly drew you to um, iOS? I mean, obviously you've made games for home consoles and things like that. Uh, what what else kind of you know drew you to the, the touch platform and the mobile platform? Well, you know, obviously our, our industry is in a huge change right now. We're mm -hmm. seeing, you know, console games especially, and honestly the buyers, you know, they're shifting their focus. We're seeing a lot more uh, interactivity with apps and, and games and apps, and, you know, especially when you get talking about the iPad, one of the, one of the, the recent figures is that the majority of users have an iPad for gaming. Mm -hmm. You know, it's starting to replace Nintendo DS and, and you know, the, the, the PS Vita and stuff like that. You know, the, those first parties are going to say otherwise, and that's fine. They have a great market still. But really what, what drew us in is the ability to utilize touchscreens and to make something that wasn't dependent on a controller or, you know, basic motion controls. So it was really okay. something very, very interesting and unique to try. And, and, again, the development is really easy. It's user-friendly, and you can get prototypes up and running extraordinarily quick. Mm -hmm. um, so 
what other games to kind of backtrack just a little bit before we go full on into to, to Solar Flux? Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, some racing games. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the other games that you guys have worked on? I noticed on your website um, the what Need for Speed the Run, I believe, was one. Yeah, of you Need guys for Speed the Run was was one of the the uh, top titles we've worked on. Uh, Cars Two, uh, the Disney property, was a fantastic game to work on. We've uh, previously done Track Mania, uh, several Hot Wheels titles. Uh, you know, we really did focus into the, the racing genre and, sure. and really owned it. Awesome. Um, now, I, obviously, from you know how you're talking, th- this is in some ways uh, an experiment, uh, Solar Flux. Um, do you do you see if this thing goes well? Would you kind of move more towards into the the mobile ecosystem, or do you think you still want to make games for consoles? Or do you... you know that that's a great question. And honestly, uh, in a way, this is an experiment. You know, it was something to test the waters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave it gave our team, you know, that that creative freedom. I mean, we literally went to them and said, "Guys, what would you make if you had the chance to?" And this is kind of the byproduct of that. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of passion with our our, our team. We have a lot of creative ability, and, and you know, it's something that by no means I think are we just going to drop it after Solar sure, Flux, sure. you know, hit or miss. I mean, obviously, we want it to be a to be a huge hit. Uh, you know, it's it's our you know backing towards this so you know we want to see it become successful and mm-hmm. for people to really enjoy it and if there's a you know if there's a desire and there's an appetite for more of that you know we definitely want to expand out we definitely want to try some new things um you know we're we're looking at setting up the teams to do some of this original ip of our own because mm-hmm. you know at, at, at the point like i said the, the industry is changing and there's there's not necessarily a huge appetite right now especially with the twilight of the, the current console and the new stuff coming out for console games so mm-hmm. until we look to the future of you know what is what is xbox one and, and playstation 4 going to bring for us i think this is a great medium to, to transition to temporarily or at least you know to see how things are going and if they if they turn out in our favor and the margins are right you know there's no reason to stop sure um so uh i guess tell us how uh solar flux actually plays what kind of game um is is solar flux Absolutely. So Solar Flux HD, uh, in a very core nutshell, is essentially an intergalactic uh, space puzzle game. Okay. Uh, and it's got a very, very serene, almost zen-like uh, ambient tone to it. So, you know, space in itself is it's a very, very quiet place. It isn't, you know, the Star Wars and the Star Treks of the, of the world where everything is, is shooting, blasting, explosions in space. This mm-hmm. game really takes that serene look and... We build a puzzle game on it. It's it's top down. The players are going to take control of a ship, omnidirectional, and you're basically going in. And the fiction behind of it is, uh, you're collecting plasma that has been scattered within a galaxy or a solar system, and you're revitalizing suns that are dying. So, with that, we have four very unique galaxies. Uh, each galaxy is both visually and mechanically different in nature. So you're going to come across new challenges, uh, black holes, asteroids. All sorts of things that would occur in, you know, the real world space. Okay. And then you have to overcome that and re reignite the suns, essentially. So, okay. you know, furthermore to that challenge is for the hardcore, you're going to have to go in and, and meet certain expectations. So, for example, we have fuel and we have heat shield meters. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain levels in order to gain a three star in that mission will be to you know, only expend one or two cells of fuel and still deliver all the plasma back to the sun. So a person can go 
go in there, kind of powerhouse it on their own, and maybe achieve, achieve the, the one-star rating to get you to the next level. But if mm -hmm. you want to ace it, you've got to do the, you know, the extra steps to take. So, you know, that's the atmosphere we really want. You know, and originally we had some great ideas of going the route of something more action-adventure-like in the space universe, but really realized that, you know, it, it, it's being done. It has been done. Let's try and take a step back and see what happens when we, we go the mellow approach. And, you know, uh, something that I've heard kind of thrown out there is, is this is this is like Osmos in space, which is yeah, I was, awesome. I, was... I mean, that's that's a huge, you know, it's it's an inspiration to us. We also took the film Sunshine as kind okay. of the inspiration for the story. You know, that was revitalizing the Earth's sun. You don't uh, have serial killers on the loose, though, do you? No, sir, no. <laughs> no serial killers. Uh, you know, maybe we'll look at that for DLC. But of course, not, not, not initially. <laughs> but I mean, that really was the inspiration for the game. And sure. you know, after some tuning and mechanic changes and feature changes. You know, we, we really come into something that is, is absolutely fantastic because it's easy to pick up and play. You know, within literally two minutes, you've understood the controls, which is essentially, you know, tap behind the ship to push it forward, kind of like pushing a hockey puck. And then when you collect the plasma, you just tap on the sun to deliver it. And okay, so, so it even controls similarly to Osmos. Yeah. Uh, where you're, you know, clicking on the opposite direction to propel you. Exactly, Ooh, absolutely, okay. and that made gotcha. a lot of sense to us because you know in space you don't have a a, a break essentially you have sure. to reverse thrust and control thrust otherwise you're you know drifting off into the middle of nowhere so yeah. all all of the missions have some sort of you know real world space physics so we have uh, gravity we have orbits as I said black holes that you know will will suck a person in we've got asteroids that have full collision you know they'll come at you and you'll have to dodge and so you know players are really really going to learn uh, how to utilize those those physics to their advantage so for example we've got levels where you can actually just stay in orbits and bounce around between planets to deliver all of the flares or deliver all the plasma and not expend any fuel thus earning you a three star so okay it's really something that It'll be quick to pick up and play, but once you start progressing through the levels and get to some of the later galaxies, there's there's a significant challenge and uh, you know challenge ramping up to to really accomplish it and beat the level to the maximum potential it can be. Okay, um, so uh, the the game you said has been in development for about nine months. Yep. Um, now that that's obviously an incredibly short turnaround time for. You know, like a, a console game. Those are often in development for a year, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. If you're Duke Nukem Forever, um, <laughs> but um, do you think that is a testament to just the the scope of the game? Uh, because obviously, it's it's you know a, a fairly I don't want to say simple uh, because that's often misconstrued with with games. But you know, it's not an overly complex game. Um, or do you think it's more has to do with the platform that it's on? Because you talked about the iOS being um, incredibly easy to develop for. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, honestly, I think it's a blend of both. I mean, okay. you know, really we, we find that uh, Apple users, I mean, when, when you go and you play an iPad game or an I, iPhone game, you know, a lot of times you're not going to sit down on a couch and, you know, hover over it. I'm not to say that there aren't people who do that. I do it myself. But, sure. you know, a lot of people play games in quick stints, you know, maybe on your lunch break or, you know, while you're riding the train home or the bus home, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's something you definitely want to take in mind is, 
how to build a game where people can jump in, do a few things, and jump out if they need to. It's all about flexibility and portability of the system, which, which in my opinion makes you know Apple's device one of the one of the greatest systems to develop games on because mm-hmm. you can make games for quick experiences. You don't need to invest a significant amount of time at any one given point. And uh, quite honestly, as a family man myself, you know it's fantastic because I put the kids to bed and I can jump in, play a couple levels of something, and then bail out to go eat dinner or whatever the kid you know situation mm-hmm. may be. Yeah. So I, I think that's definitely a, a big portion of it. And then, you know, on the other hand, it really is just uh, that w- with the development time for, for an iOS game or, or an iPad game for that matter, you know, you look at something that, you know, the cost associations are far different. You know, development costs mm-hmm. for a console game are significantly higher because of that, you know, one to three year range, depending on the game, you know. And so you can take smaller teams that are more focused and more honed in their craft and build iOS games in a significantly quicker amount of time that, that meet those expectations I spoke about. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, is is the whole team working on SolarFlex right now, or is part of it... No, no, there was actually divisioned out to approximately uh, uh, five core team members, and then it ramped up to ten kind of supplementary support people. Okay, gotcha. Very cool. Um, now, y- you mentioned, you know, designing a game that is, uh, you know, meant to be played in kind of short spurts, uh, which is the, the great thing about um, mobile platforms, and in my opinion, one of the-, the downfalls of, like, the PlayStation Vita, where, you know, they're trying to make these console um, experiences for yeah. on-the-go, and that's not the point of this conversation, that's just my opinion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but what what is it like trying to develop a game that way? Because... Coming from the console space, you know, you're trying to do the exact opposite. You're trying to get people hooked to play for hours and to get them to come back um, over and over again and keep them playing the game for an incredibly long amount of time, um, both in individual stints and over, you know, over the game's lifetime. So what is it like trying to to rethink how to make a game when you know the person's only going to be playing it for 30 seconds or two minutes or five minutes and, you know, maybe not coming back to it for a couple of hours or a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a unique process. I mean, you know, as you pointed out, with console development, you need to look at, you know, the overall scope and the large scope of the game and how to drive the story forward and how to drive, you know, basically high content for high high value, you know. Mm -hmm. With a console game, you're paying anywhere between forty and sixty dollars, and you know people have expectations of what they're getting for forty to sixty dollars, and so you really want to build a very thorough and, and uh, you know thought out process. Whereas mm-hmm. on mobile, you know what it comes down to is you can really hone in on the core mechanics of what makes the game fun. You don't need, you don't necessarily need, I should say, you know all, all the pomp and circumstance of you know the flash, the extras and stuff. It's great and you know, that can make a game, you know, do really well as, you know, as well. But essentially what you look at is what is the core mechanic that makes this fun and makes this addictive? You know, one thing that mobile does really right is that they find compulsion loops for games. And that's why we see such a huge influx of freemium games, mm-hmm. you know, as you find a compulsion loop that players get in there, they do a few actions and then they get hooked and they're addicted and they want to keep playing and coming back. So the biggest challenge for, for us in developing on, on mobile is that, you know, we want people to play a couple of missions, but we want them to come back. You know, we don't want them to drop the game and not play it again because that's a lot of wasted work and effort. And, you know, it's sorry to see them not hit the end of the levels. So sure. we, we've employed on SolarFlux specifically, we've employed, a, I guess we'll call it a tried and true mechanic um, uh, of monetization on the device in that 
you know, if you're somebody who doesn't want to naturally progress through the whole game, you're going to have the ability to buy out unlocking the extra galaxies. So okay. if you're somebody who just wants to see the entirety of the game right away, you're still going to have to play every mission on your own and, and unlock it per galaxy. But if you want that kind of sampling of all of them right away, you can go in and purchase out the other ones straight away. You know, we've seen console try to uh, kind of tap into that market as well of, of quick buyouts. And, you know, quite honestly, it's been successful. People value their time these days. So mm-hmm. it really is honing in on what makes the game fun and how do we get players continually playing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, that, that actually brings up a pretty interesting point because, you know, a lot of especially console um, gamers really don't like the whole you know, you buy something to further progress you into the the game. Uh, I think a lot of them lie because obviously people keep doing it for some reason. That's because people buy it. (laughs) Uh, But uh, there's a a very vocal community out there that, you know, says it's this horrible thing. And, you know, you you can tell them that, you know, well, if you don't like it, then you don't have to buy it. But they don't like the option even being there. Um, How do you... How do you? How would you kind of explain that to them to say why it's why it's a good thing and why it needs to be in games? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and, I, and I've seen both sides of the fence of that, and, and quite honestly, I've experienced both sides of the fence of that that argument. You know, mm-hmm. in the case of uh, games, especially on the multiplayer side, where that system unbalances a game and gives somebody who pays that. Uh, that kind of advantage or that large game-changing advantage, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that's necessarily the correct way to go because that rewards players, you know, for shoving even more money after they've spent, you know, X amount of dollars on the initial purchase of the game. And, you know, that that's to me is kind of uh, an exploit. I'm not a huge fan of that personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where, where I think the table works and that system works is to help players who don't necessarily have the time investment or, or whatever their situation may be, to experience the entirety of the game. I mean, you have to ask yourself, if you look back at your, your library of games, how many have you left uncompleted? You know, I mean, God knows my backstock is just extraordinary at this point, and I can go and count over dozens of games that I've never got to the end of, and I have no idea how they end, just because I got to some point, something new came out, and I moved on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have an entire feature um, on Dark Station dedicated to that, to people going back to those games. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it's fun, especially in times, you know, certain times of the year, such as right now when games are, you know, new releases are in a lull. You go back, you know, you realize that you didn't play whatever it may be, Assassin's Creed 1, for example, you know, and, and it's fun to go back and play that. But, uh, you know, with mobile and, and allowing players to, uh, we'll say, fast track, I think that's that's a positive situation because, you know, specifically for our game, it doesn't really exploit any other players because we're not multiplayer. Okay. It doesn't give a, an unfair advantage. What it does is allow people to experience all sections of content while not giving away the, the farm, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So like I said earlier, what we do is we unlock the ability to play in, a, in, a, in one of the new and later galaxies, but we don't unlock every single mission. So within that galaxy, you're still going to be playing the, you know, 15 to 20 levels okay. in the standard progression. So you have the chance to see the later cool stuff, but you still got to play it. And I think that's where the system works really well. And and I think if developers look at it that way, and, you know, we see publishers come online with learning how to monetize that way, you see mm-hmm. a lot more benefit as opposed to a system that exploits or, or benefits players who pay out to get better stats, to take down the people who just want to pay, play, play and pay, I guess, for the, the base game, you know? 
Um, now, the uh, Solar Flux has a, a very chill aesthetic to it. Uh, you called it Zen earlier. Um, was that a, a conscious thing to, to make a game that was not overly violent? Uh, because a lot of games today, and I mean for a long time, they have been uh, just very violent. Were you wanting to go for something that, I mean, almost just get this... Uh, almost journey meets wave meets osmos kind of vibe from the game because you know in, in it you're not um killing things you're trying to you're you're strictly trying to restore things you're not absolutely causing harm uh so what can you kind of talk to us about what that process was like why you made that choice that that sort of thing yeah no i mean it, it's a that's a great question and really early on you know we looked at the, the combat, almost twin-stick shooter route. And we had some prototypes that utilized uh, that game mode where, you know, you were out to destroy things. But then really we found we had one game mode where it was prototyped very briefly that, uh, that had us restoring a sun. And people really gravitated to that. So we looked at it and going, hey, you know, I think we're onto something here. You know, we're onto something that's very chill, mellow, but still, still intense in the puzzle nature. I mean, this is not just a walk in the park. So... At that point, we looked at exploring it further, and we had some other very, very basic prototypes that kind of came into play to experiment with how the suns worked, uh, how the ship reacted to grabbing the plasma, delivering it, and, mm -hmm. and really at that point it evolved, and we found something that landed us in that very abstract game nature, and you know we felt like it was a great approach to go. You know, we were going to stand out in the market essentially because mm -hmm. you can name off half a dozen of you know space shooters out there that are very intense, very action-oriented, and I'm a huge fan of them myself. Mm -hmm. but this is something that kind of breaks that box, you know. This isn't the the space combat game. This is, you know, going out into the void of space and really feeling that. So, you know, we support that both aesthetically uh, and, and musically as well. We've got a fantastic original soundtrack that was created for the game that really is that mellow orchestral tone, you know, and, and soundtrack to it that allow it to feel very very zen-like, very chill, and all of our sound effects, such as the thrusters and the delivery uh, of the, the plasma and solar flares, are very muted. Very, um, what's the what's the right word? Like like almost echoey. You know, it feels okay. very very calming. So you can mm -hmm. play it, game, and although you've got a, a huge sense of urgency, the game in itself feels very relaxed, and it's mm -hmm. it's just something that really works well. And we've seen games. You know, Flower and, and Osmos, for example, that have worked great in that nature and have found interesting hooks to make that, you know, that sense of urgency come to life. And mm -hmm. we think we, we hit that, you know, uh, same type of setting and environment in space. Uh, now, is that sense of urgency artificial, or do the levels have time limits or anything like that? We, we have, so as I was speaking about earlier with the challenges, uh, mm -hmm. you know, rated on a three-star system. And, and to just kind of uh, putz around and, and, you know, do whatever it takes to get those three uh, or, or those those three stars, you really need to focus in. And that's where an urgency comes in. So there are okay. levels of time restrictions, uh, not many of them, but what it does is that, you know, we, we utilize a, almost a time restriction in the sense of either your shields are burning up or you're running out of fuel. So okay. that's where those, those mechanics come into play. And and that's what builds the sense of urgency. You know, a player gotcha. can go in, simply collect the bear amount, you know, and, and re-equalize the, the sun, and they'll get the one star, and that's fine. They'll pass. But if you really want to hit that top-tier score again, 
uh, you're going to want to focus in and figure out a strategy to do it all and deliver those, deliver those plasmas without, you know, expending too much fuel, without burning up your heat shield. And, you know, we've got, you know, we've got a very subtle alarm that goes off when your heat shield gets critical or you're running low on fuel. Uh, fuel. But again, that's all to- toned appropriately so that it's not, it's not jarring to the player. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now this, uh, yeah, I, I kind of jump around in my questions. I, I have them written in a list. I just never, uh, stick to that list. Um, going back to the, the more Zen like, uh, atmosphere of the game and the fact that, you know, it's, it's strictly puzzles. Uh, there, there's no, um, quote unquote action, you know, where you're killing people or anything like that. A lot of games seem to be afraid to go in that direction. Um, one of my examples from this year, um, and you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, to get you to say something bad about somebody else's game or anything like that. Uh, but I, I wasn't a big fan of the new Tomb Raider, um, because it didn't do what I wanted Tomb Raider to do. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, the over the top, like uncharted action, uh, but the more, uh, sedate, just kind of wandering around and tomb raiding and the environmental exploration just, just wasn't there. And yeah. that seems to be going away in a lot of different games, especially the big third-party one or, or AAA games. Uh, you know, they, they don't they don't want you to kind of calm down and just look around. Sometimes, what you know, you've obviously worked on some bigger um, AAA games. Why do you think some developers at least appear to be so afraid to to go in that direction and you know take away the gun and you know not let you just kill everything inside? Yeah, I mean that that that's a fantastic question. I mean, obviously this is this is purely my opinion here, but oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think I think it comes down to you know mainstream media really looks at it as you know when when you're publishing a game and you're producing a game, you know what's going to hook people, and, and in most cases it's you know it's that kind of AAA action movie, you know, mm-hmm. kind of more explosions, more violence, more this and more that, and that's going to guarantee you sales. You know, we look at the top titles on console. What is it? It's Battlefield and it's Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, why is that? You have to ask yourself. Well, it's because it's high action. It's high octane. You know, it's it's a thrill ride. You're running a roller coaster the whole time. Mm-hmm. Most people and the casual, you know, the, the hardcore, I should say, the hardcore market, not the casual market, um, you know, they tend to, to relocate to that. You know, they go and they want the high thrill of it, you know, doing something over the top that, you know, could never be possible in real life, uh, you know, whatever that example may be. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you see developers, uh, especially on the, on the console side, veer away from that because, or, or veer away from the, the more mellow games because they don't necessarily drive the sales that one hopes for. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that they don't, and that's not to say that they're not, you know, incredibly successful. I mean, games like like Flower, for example, did fantastic to my understanding. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it also takes a certain gamer to play those games and really get the enjoyment. You sure. know, you got the the action junkies who probably aren't going to touch a game like Solar Flux. You know, we, we want them to, and we'd love them to, but, you know, they're going to go and jump into a twin-stick shooter instead. You know, sure. something that provides cheap, quick, you know, high, fast-paced thrills. So I, I think that's that's offers some hesitation to developers, mm-hmm. but... You know, at the same token, we're seeing kind of the rise of the indies recently. Mm-hmm. And I use the term indies, obviously, in the, the loosest of terms because, you know, ind- independent developers is really what it is. Um, and 
it, it allows more artistic and creative freedoms, I think. And that's, that's fantastic. I mean, you know, we see games on Steam have, have just blown up that nobody, you know, would have normally thought about twice. And it, it's great to see those success stories. And I think that's where we're going to see a transition to some of these games that are more artistic, more mellow, kind of make a rising over the next few years because people are starting to realize, hey, you know, this is something new. That's something different, and it's it's really enjoyable. You know, mm-hmm. what other games are out there that are like this? And then you see that that exploration for the the consumer. Awesome. Yeah. Um. All right. Well. Uh. I I don't really have a. I mean, obviously that was just kind of op ed. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but um. I I guess. I don't know. I, I don't have too much more after that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess, uh, you know, tell us... Well, actually, I do have one thing, um, and we'll get to that in just a second. Um, but uh, the game is obviously coming out on iOS. Um, do you have any plans or possible dreams of it coming out on any other mobile platforms like Android or Windows Phone or, or something like that? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, in the next couple of weeks, mid-August, we are iPad exclusive. Okay. Uh, and that uh, we're definitely looking to expand out uh, and especially go on to, to phones. Uh, however, trying to fit a universe on a phone is a little challenging. <laughs> and I will use that pun because sure. I can. <laughs> Uh, but no, I mean, we're, we're definitely developing uh, continually still. We're looking how to, to make it work on phones. Um, but yeah, we're iPad exclusive uh, coming out August. And I think after that, you know, if we're successful and people are enjoying this, you know, there, there's not a lot stopping us from looking to expand out further. And that's, that's the hope, you know, as, as we continue to move on. I mean, people who have an iPad 2, 3, 4, or mini are going to have a lot of fun with this game. It's going to be very enjoyable. Uh, we feel we've got the right price point, and you know we're excited to see it come out. Awesome! All right, so so we're gonna end things off then uh, with what uh, one of the other interviewers. Um, uh, actually, we've been working on it kind of after each interview, trying to trying to make this as awesome as possible. It's a little questionnaire, uh, kind of inspired by James Lipton and Inside the Actors Guild. Uh, we used to call it the Lightning Round. We it's currently untitled. Um, I've tentatively called it the. Uh, contemplative round, uh, but it's just six questions. You know, the idea is to answer them as fast as possible. If you don't, that's fine. There's no right or wrong answers. Uh, but the first one is, who is your favorite video game uh, and or protagonist? Protagonist. Yes. Oh man. Yep. These are on the spot, aren't they? Yep. <laughs> uh, boy. And you this, know, this is say, why we don't call it the lightning round anymore. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know about the lightning round. It caught me off guard. You know, honestly, and I'm going to harken back here. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Mario. Okay. I mean, that, that brought me into the industry, and uh, you know, saving the princess was what it was all about back then. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, honestly, um, you know, what 20 interviews in with this lightning round? I think you're actually the first person to say Mario. So. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Who's your favorite antagonist? Flip the coin. Yeah. Oh man. Um. Oh. Who would it be? I'm drawing a blank here. I don't know. I. I don't necessarily dislike or like too many antagonists. Uh, I think. See, I've played a 
quite a few games. I haven't actually had one. I've been kind of playing recent uh, racing games, dirt and stuff. So I'm, I'm sure. drawing a blank recently. I mean, Wario, again, hearkening back to the, <laughs> uh, to the Nintendo side. I think Wario, sure. only because he's hilarious. Yeah. And, you know, if I could rock a mustache, I'd go that route. Absolutely. And, you know, if you wanted to, you could actually use him as both your protagonist and, and antagonist. Because, you know, he gets his own games. Exactly. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, so, next question is, what is your least favorite video game trope? Um, examples that people have used before is, you know, having amnesia in a game, uh, or the abilities where you start off fully powered and then become underpowered immediately after that. Explosive or... barrels. Okay. Explosive barrels are definitely it. Oh, yeah. If I have to blow up another random barrel that explodes for no purpose, I mean, I, just, <laughs> I give up. <laughs> All right. Um, so, obviously, we have to wait a couple of weeks before uh, Solar Flux HD comes out. Do you have any iOS games that you would recommend? Uh... Quite honestly, I, I'm uh, only because it was just a free app of the week. I've downloaded Bad Piggies, uh, kind okay. of enjoying it. It's uh, I like the creativity of the the contraptions that you build to get through a level. I think that's mm -hmm. inventive and and also frustrating, but uh, <laughs> it's interesting to see how some of them turn out. I've been playing that a lot. Otherwise, uh, you know, big hats off to the guys that made Badlands. I mean, that game uh, is one of the few that I actually. Uh, as I spoke earlier, sat on the couch and, and powerhouse. I uh, absolutely loved it. Okay. Good deal. Um, all right. So if you had to try another profession, if for some reason tomorrow you couldn't work on video games, uh, what would you like to try? What would I like to try? I'd probably go into uh, PR, quite honestly. <laughs> okay. And I'd find a way to loop back and market video games. Because I can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and then our last question is, at the end of your life, when you reach the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom and Toad looks over the book of the deeds of your life, what do you want him to say to you? Ooh. That's, that's out there. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, that, all, all the credit of that one goes to Brian, the, uh, the other guy that's often on these interviews. Um... That's a fantastic question. <laughs> Um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully I look back and realize I bled a lot of pixels. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, to, to finish things off, if you could just tell us, um, when and where we can get our hands on Solar Flux HD. Absolutely. So again, mid-August and you'll be able to pick it up for iPad exclusive on the App Store. All right. Well, thank you very much, Alex, for sitting down and talking to us um, about uh, a whole bunch of random stuff, but specifically <laughs> Solar Flex HD. Um, I wish you the best. I hope everything goes well with the game, and uh, I look forward to seeing more from your studio. Fantastic. It was great. Thank you, Jonathan. No problem.